My guest today is David Ledgerud. We call him Ledge. So this is how I will uh, be calling him the rest of the interview. But the subject that we are uh, talking about today is about RevOps, which is an abbreviation of Revenue Operations. A lot of businesses are used to outsource administrative function, outsource finance function, outsource human resource department. But what about sales and the whole organization that has to be um, put in place around generating revenue for your organization? And this is what Ledge is doing with his organization, add10.co, which is a very clever way to say 10x your revenue. Dave is a consultant since uh, about two decades, has also been involved in more than 10 startups. In this interview, we will be talking about consulting, creating new company, how do you choose your founders, what is revenue operations, of course, but also how do you combine entrepreneurship and parenting. So this is a very interesting episode with Dave, and uh, I hope you will enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, don't hesitate to let me know or um, let know the podcast at least uh, by leaving a review on your uh, preferred app. So uh, it could be Apple, it could be Spotify, or let me know personally on my uh, LinkedIn. Or also, you can also send an email to uh, diogene at erphappy.com. So D-I-O-G-E-N-E at erphappy.com. So I really hope you will enjoy the episode as much as I did. And let's start. Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogen Tirandekura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. Hello and uh, welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle to uh, David Ledgerwood. David, how are you? It's nice to be here. My friends call me Ledge. Call me Ledge too. <laughs> was, yes, yes. I was about to ask that. Shall I call you Ledge? But <laughs> that's and what I go by. Yeah. Good, good. So that's how I will call you now. Ledge, can you share to the audience your uh, career story? Because you're a great fit with the show and I want them to uh, know why. Sure. Well, I have been a consultant in some form or another for, gosh, more than 20 years now. And I did the, you know, I'll call the big box consulting. Uh, right mm -hmm. out of college, I did the PricewaterhouseCoopers Technology Consulting ERP. I was a PeopleSoft guy on several different projects. Spent the early days, I, I just became out of nowhere a, a Bash script developer. And uh, <laughs> at that time, you know, that was valuable to, that was how we tied things together where we were trying to make stuff work. And I'm pretty sure that there are Bash scripts that are still running at UPS and uh, JP Morgan Chase and places like that. I had to figure out how to make stuff work. Uh, maybe a little Pearl too. But I, I stopped uh, being a developer, you know, because I got into the business side. And so I did operations work on um, working for sales forces. So my folks were the technical people that had to deliver things after salespeople sold them. And uh, there was always it's sort of this idea of those idiot sales guys, you know, they'll sell anything, you know, can we fight back against them? And I tried to instill a culture of, look, it might be crazy what somebody said out there, but let's work together on it and say, you know, listen, that's impossible, that thing you just sold, but we can do this instead. And then starting to learn how do we do standard setting and documentation together and just close those gaps that existed in the organization. So without really thinking or knowing about it, you know, I sort of became a change management type where it was important to work in cultures mm -hmm. and get people just to respect each other and work and, uh, you know, elevate the culture of the company. 
ultimately I decided that, you know, I wanted to work for myself. And uh, at the time that was about How 2007. Many? Okay. Okay. You had like uh, about 10 years of experience at 2007. Is it? Uh, let's see about uh, eight years, I guess. Nine, eight, eight, nine years. Industry. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I was still too young, you know, uh, but I did it anyway. And uh, <laughs> the, the interesting thing I remember being told, and uh, so I started a consulting company. It was more about organizational change, leadership development, team development, leadership teams, oh, nice. things like that. And I loved it. And we were good at it, but I, I distinctly remember being told, you know, when we were trying to sell big clients that uh, you don't have enough gray hair to tell us how to do that. And I, I just thought <laughs> that was an interesting thing even back then. Now I do have gray hair. I have no hair on. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> So uh, do enough startups and have enough kids and and you can get bald and gray, just like me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was an interesting learning experience. And uh, we took that company doing pretty well and grew it to about eight people okay. and um, about 40K a month of revenue. And then in 2009, the bottom just, just fell out. So I learned a lot the hard way on how to deal with uh, recessions and uh, economic collapse. I've had pretty good or bad luck, depending on how you look at it, to, to start companies right before the economy went, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> went bottomed mm -hmm. out. So mm -hmm. um, that story yeah. came back this last year to be very helpful because we learned how to manage cash flow in a down period you know, for, mm -hmm. for 2020. So I've done a bunch of different entrepreneurial adventures. I'm on startup number 13, and some were strikeouts and some were singles and some were doubles. That's about as high as I've got now. So mm -hmm. uh, currently I'm a co-founder and managing partner of Ad One Zero, and we work with B2B services firms, uh, professional services, consultants, uh, high-end marketing agencies, things like that, all B2B services. And if the founder doesn't want to run sales anymore, they can either hire or they can... Uh, bring us in and we'll run the whole revenue function and we'll actually, you know, close all the deals and bring in the money. And so it, it's a good opportunity for people that, you know, want to operate and be a CEO and they don't want to be forever in the sales seat. Yeah. Because as you know, as a consultant, it's difficult, right? To be it's able difficult to, do to be in the delivery. Selling. Exactly. Mm -hmm. To be in delivery uh, with the, the quality that is required by clients and uh, do the mm -hmm. sales as well. Yeah. That's impressive and uh, fascinating. I just wanted to know when you started your first experience, you said I, then you said we, so you started alone, like as an independent or you co-founded a I co-founded that first company okay. with several other gentlemen that I worked with at the time. So we actually had four people and then one left and we were three. And then um, difficult things with like, how do we finance this? And some people could put in more money than others. And we ended up changing the cap table. So it was a whole lessons in how do you manage and, uh, and grow out uh, a partnership. Uh, so I learned mm -hmm. a, a lot about, about mm -hmm. that. And uh, yeah, I've always had co-founders. I don't think there might be a few that I did by myself, but those were ill-fated pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, great. The other thing is, uh, I understand that you went through different uh, functions in, uh, in in consulting, then you started one in organizational change. I would like to know if you had a uh, vision of, uh, you know, where right now we are working a lot remotely, using a lot of uh, technology. Was that already something you had in mind more than 10 years ago? So around 2012, I guess about... Um, going on almost 10 years ago, I decided that I wanted to do sales calls trying to use Zoom, which was a relatively new thing 
at the time. And I thought, I don't want to sit uh, and do the smile dial phone call thing. And what if I uh, pre-scheduled and I gave a Zoom link and people would show up and, and do that. And an increasing number over time, you know, over that course of 2012, 2013, started to show up and do that. And it was a better way to connect with the prospect. So that kind of paved the way and told me that, well, I don't really need to be in one office room. In fact, it's worse for making sales calls in a room full of a bunch of other people because it's too loud. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can't focus on things. So uh, I learned the disciplines there of, you know, how to take notes during calls and, and build out a structure and, a, you know, sort of a CRM regime and things like that to, to keep track and upload, you know, all the video files. And so, yeah, remote work started for me uh, kind of early. And by, I guess, um, 2017, I was, you know, fully remote working from home. And I have been ever since we started this company fully distributed and remote. Our workforce is all over the world. I will likely never be in the same room as anyone that works for me. Fun story that my my business partner and I, we have worked together since 2002 in some capacity or another, and we've only been in the same room uh, about six times ever. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Unbelievable. Uh, we built the whole thing that way. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's nice when you can get, get together with people, but I don't subscribe to the idea that you can't do business, you know, fully remote. I think Sure, there are things that you can do together, maybe a little bit easier. It'd be nice to have a real whiteboard or, or something like that, but it's absolutely not necessary. And if your business is built in a way that you feel that you can't do it, I would argue that you're not educated sort of in the ways to figure out how to do collaborative technology and brainstorming and, you know, sort of innovative thinking. And uh, we'll very often just leave a Zoom meeting on and just kind of talk to each other while we're doing other things to, you know, simulate that office environment. So you can find a way to do it. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, it's during the pandemic, I think it has also shown that a lot of projects that were supposed to be done face to face uh, in the office have continued remotely and smoothly. So uh, totally agree. So today you have Ad10 and it's a sales, so more like kind of a sales consulting company. You will explain that a bit more. But the fact that you were doing those video sales calls, does that lead you to create that company? Did you see that need for other companies to get their sales right? I definitely saw a need to build better, and I'll say, you know, better revenue organizations because it's a combination of, you know, all the sort of sales disciplines. And I discovered without knowing what it was, there's a thing called sales ops or revenue ops. And what I realized was like, you know, somebody like that is on calls all day, like me, you know, uh, your rep or your account executive or whatever you call them, we call them sales leads, but it was really, it seemed really dumb to me that I had no administrative support where like you would want to maximize the number of calls I'm doing and build a process where that recording and those notes would be essentially automatically taken by a team member, administrative team member, operations team member, and turned into proposals and turn and follow-ups and doing all the emails and all the things. And it just seemed really dumb to me that the company that I was working for, you know, would not sponsor that. They, they just, <laughs> no, just work harder and just do it at, you know, a different time. And I just thought that that didn't make any sense. Like I, if I'm a deal maker and I'm able to, you know, create five, six digit deals, you should probably have me out maximizing my call volume. But you can't have me doing all the other things because it's impossible to do all that follow-up and contract work and, you know, all that stuff. And that's sales ops. And so when we built our company, we sort of set out with the idea that, you know, we're going to do all those things for our clients. We are going to get on and close deals and maximize the time that that sales leader is on the phone or on the Zoom. And therefore, like 80% of the work is really operations on the back end. And so we built those teams also. So if we go into a client, it's, it's really a full team approach. 
people will see me or a sales lead more often sort of as the face of it. But I think of those folks as just we're the performers, you know, we're the ones that are on stage, but that does not diminish the vast need for the people who manage the auditorium and sell the tickets and get the audience and do the lighting and, you know, do the scenery and, you know, all those things that actually make a performance work. It's far more work than it is for us to, um, to do the exhausting performance. And so, can we enable the folks who make good deals and are good talkers to have the full support necessary? So yes, we set out to do it all on Zoom and it wasn't really that we wanted to convince people that, you know, they could do remote calls. It was more like, Hey, this is how we need to run our company. My partner and I are both, you know, solo parents and um, we had to take care of our kids. And, and particularly then in 2020, you know, it was really opportune that we had that, <laughs> that uh, ability to work from home. But I remember at the end of 2019, when we started and people were sort of going, oh, you can't sell what we do on Zoom. You know, you need to be in the room. <laughs> and then those same people calling us back, you know, about six months later and saying, please help us. <laughs> we, we need to sell on Zoom. Now. Yeah. So I don't know that we set out to be remote except for our lifestyle. We had to do it. And uh, otherwise, then we built the systems around that to make sure that that worked really well. So do you specialize to a certain industry in terms of uh, what type of products and services you sell? Yeah. B2B services. Our business focuses on working for founders who have done all the sales for a B2B service company up to $300,000 to $500,000 of revenue. We start there. And that's the point where that founder needs to decide, I'm, I want to be a practitioner. I can't sell all the time. I want to be a CEO and grow my team. I want to be an operator and I want to manage my clients. And I want to live on the execution side of the business. And they will find that up to that point, they can kind of do both. But if you want to scale past that, you're going to plateau and you can't. And so at that point, people, you know, I think erroneously are taught, I should hire a VP of sales. If you do the math, you'll find that that's completely ridiculous. Like it costs way too much money at that point. <laughs> so what do you end up doing? Well, I have to hire a junior salesperson, but then you have a management problem because they don't really know how to sell like you anyway. And so I, you know, I looked at service companies and industries that had done that several times, you know, the half million to five million type of growth place. And I said, you know, we know how to do this. And at that exact place, you know, there are founders that don't want to sell and yet they cannot afford to do things the right way internally. So if we could fill the gap between 500 and 5 million. That's where ad one zero came from. It's a fun way to say 10 X. <laughs> uh, we must grow revenue at that exact stage. And I saw that you could hire, you know, sort of a, a fractional CFO or CMO or all these things. Like, why can't you do that for the, the sales. Um, a revenue department, yeah. you know, or a revenue division? And I, and I just decided that we were going to do that. And I've since learned the reasons that that's difficult. It's simply because it's a tremendous amount of work to spin that up, but uh, we're willing to do that. And we do that and, and we work on a retainer and commission style basis, just like you would if you had your own sales organization and we just would become a white label part of that company and we can do it a lot faster and a lot more effectively than than you could if having not run that playbook you know over and over again uh just like i couldn't you know walk up and be i mean i'm smart enough to learn how to be an sap consultant but i don't know what that is right now you know i can sell and uh and we know how to run sales and revenue systems you know in that same way so it was just about providing you know the um ability to execute kind of at a master level on uh, all the things that that make revenue happen and um there's a pretty good playbook for that and yeah, uh that was it helps 
I think that's a great point that you bring the, the comparison with hiring a CFO and also um, the fact that if you want to do revenue operations you're much more if I can compare you're much more uh, you need to produce results so it's like if I hire a part-time CFO I can say okay that guy or that girl just made sure that my books are, are, are right she uh, enabled me to save in taxes etc but here you you have to persuade convince whichever verb you want to use but you have to get someone to act yeah. <laughs> and buy that's totally different that's <laughs> what we do yeah uh you know we we come into our clients and build the revenue systems and we actually take all the calls with the prospect as a member of the team and we close deal and uh you know so it's kind of like closer as a service plus all the other stuff that makes that actually work yeah. And um, what's interesting is I, you know, I set out to do that because it made sense to me and my partner. To this day, we have not met a single other company that does that. And I, I don't know why, but um, oh, okay. it's difficult, but <laughs> it's not impossible. And um, we have proven the thesis. <laughs> um, it's fun. So you mentioned like the target that you work with is between that sweet spot, 300, 500K, they need to uh, 10X. But are there any criteria that would make you uh, refuse to work with a uh, company or a founder? I'm asking you the opposite. Well, there's certain measures of, you know, if our model can be successful. So we <laughs> want to measure like if you sell a single ticket item, it's got to be a bare minimum, like a $10,000 project you know, with a, with an SOW attached to it. And, and much more, much better if it's between 20 and, you know, a hundred. If you sell an MRR thing, you know, like a, a repeating monthly subscription, yep. yeah, um, you know, at least 3000 a month, something like that. So it, it doesn't make sense to try to, uh, have us come on and sell, you know, a hundred dollar a month thing or, or a thousand dollar, you know, single contract type of small stuff. So we do focus on larger ticket. And then if it's recurring, you know, somewhere in the mid yeah, uh, four figures, yeah. it makes sense. It makes sense. So that they need to afford to pay you as well. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it needs to make sense. Now, the fact that you have uh, been involved in the creation of 13, something like that, 13 startups, I would like to know maybe questions with regards to being a founder creating a company what type of uh, ingredients or what type of people personality skills you think are the core needed mm -hmm. to make a b2b organization uh, work like on the b2b service organization i think well there's certainly a customer success sort of idea that you really have to dial in on what value you can provide and so uh, there's a service mentality to a service business you know no doubt you don't ever get to be hands-off in a in a services business um, you're kind of always on call there, you know, so you have a limited scalability, which means you do need to have people who are profit minded because you can scale up a services business. Obviously, there are very large consulting companies, but you'll never achieve the gross margin percentage that you would on a, you know, some kind of SaaS product or something mm -hmm. like that. So you need strong generalists. Like those are really important people to start your company with. They need to be really functional across all different areas, you know, people that, that can figure out opportunities operations and process and documentation and finance and technology. And there's just a lot of stuff that you need to do. So I think broad generalist is a good person to start a company with in the services arena. And then ultimately you want to hire some specialists that can do the delivery for you. I think the most challenging thing is like, you know, the limitation on everybody's time. <laughs> that's, that's the same thing that hits us no matter what. So, you know, you, you try to think like, well, what, type of person could I hire that could do two or three of the things 
that we need and could fill roles for a client and either be, you know, sort of helpful and autonomous, like somebody that you, you could stick on a project and say, tell me if there's any problem with this, yeah. you know, otherwise like you own it. Uh, I mean, those are the, those are difficult people to, to find. And uh, we spend most of our time thinking about autonomy and uh, the ability to, to manage oneself because if we spend all our time managing, we don't get to do the other things, you know, kind of that we need to do. So self-starter, I guess, is a good word for that. Yeah. Entrepreneurial minded other folks, maybe who are a little more early in their startup journey and who are smart and that we can train and teach and, you know, ask to write their processes and their documentation and, uh, you know, just move the ball forward every day. Try to, I think you want to have a founding team and maybe a partnership that where those people are kind of opposites. And, and yeah. so I have that, you know, with like a highly focused operational partner who can pick up the slack when I'm maybe not so good at managing my to-do list. Uh, but I am good at being on calls and and talking to people, you know, doing marketing and sales work. So it's just all about balance and trust. And I do think you get a lot of value out of partnering with people that you've worked with for a long time because you can get that sort of mind reading, you know, type complete each other's sentences kind of thing. And at the same time, I would, I would advise folks not to, you don't necessarily want to start companies with your friends, you know, People that you want to have a beer with at the end of the day doesn't mean that they're going to be a, a really good business partner. So yeah. you know, understand that that sort of relationship. And, and you might ultimately want to have a beer at the end of the day with your business partner, but you should not choose based on your like of someone. You should choose based on your ability to execute you yeah. know, as a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not because we have a great beer together that uh, it means that we will make uh, a right. great business success as well. Yeah, I can tell you that I did that early on. Just if I had <laughs> high social rapport with somebody and we would share, like, "Oh, this is going to be great, man," you know, and I just would plow right in and start a new business, and then you would find the um, the limitations of what you know, like you should not project the best version of, of somebody, you know, I'm a, like a dreamer, I'm a visionary person, right? And I, oh, this person's great. You know, they're going to carry their weight. Well, it turns out, you know, sometimes they don't. <laughs> and um, I, that was a big lesson for me, you know, like mm -hmm. not to take people at just the face value that I would project on them mm -hmm. and decide that they were going to be successful. I would sort of like partner with or hire their best self and not be discerning in the way Uh, to push them and see, you know, at what stress points would they uh, maybe have issues and not act that way. And uh, I learned that lesson repeatedly before I got it right. You know, what did I say? Experience is uh, recognizing a mistake when you make it again. So <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I did that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very that's very insightful and uh, also uh, very honest from you. Uh, there is one thing that you mentioned at the start of the interview is that uh, you were a solo parent. Am I wrong? I just would like to know how. Because we know in B2B consulting is, uh, you say, limited scalability. We have to be involved very often. It's a lot of hours or at least it's intense hours. How do you, uh, I don't know if you have a formula, but uh, what did you do to, uh, <laughs> to combine those two roles? Yeah, yeah. So I say solo parent because I'm not a single man. Uh, I have an interesting story. Uh, my <laughs> wife and I have a long distance relationship. We are both second marriage and I have two boys from my first marriage. <laughs> She has three girls from her first marriage and we live 650 miles apart. Wow. And we travel back and forth to see each other. So in the majority of time, we are essentially solo parents. That's what, <laughs> that's what I call it. And gosh, you know, being a parent with kids home and doing school and everything over the last year was a whole different 
story, but even when school is going on, you know, I, I effectively, uh, I drive, you know, to and from school with, with kids. And, um, so like I get to work nine to three and otherwise, you know, I'm kind of on duty and, and, um, you know, they help me to, you know, they're old enough now and nine and 12, at least in my house that, they, uh, they help me to understand that I have to, you know, Hey guys, I needed to be quiet because I'm going to do an interview or something like that. <laughs> but, um, man, you know, ruthless prioritization and also just being kind with yourself. It's just, you know, your house is going to be pretty much a mess and, um, you maybe aren't going to make a good meal, but nobody's going to starve to death. And, uh, I, you know, it's just, there's a lot of grace involved in that. And so be as productive as you can and know your limitations. Like, when I became, you know, in, in a situation where I was just, you know, I'm going to have kids, I got, you know, my number one job is that I'm a dad and then everything else fits around the edges. And there are some people that, you know, manage to put their career above everything else or want to do that. I, I don't want to do that. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a father and uh, a husband and then I, I love being an entrepreneur and, but I do it more for the ability to be flexible and to build a, a strong business in the limits of what is available. You know, so if I can work six hours during a normal work day, uh, basically never take a break to eat or anything like that. And then I go into, you know, I call it dad mode and maybe there's baseball practice or something like that. And then I got to swing back around in the five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever range and do a couple more hours. And that's my day. And I do it till I'm tired. I don't go crazy because I know I can't burn it at both ends anymore. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not 30 anymore, you know, so <laughs> I'm getting up there where I got to get my sleep. But yeah, I don't know the formula. I, think, I always laughed at like, you know, those, like you'd see those articles like every Every year, the, you know, the new January edition of whatever magazine or now blog comes out. And it's like the most productive entrepreneurs of, <laughs> of 2020. And, and none of them, you know, would ever say like their parents. I just think there was a missing dimension there. Like the most productive people that I know in the entire world are, are single or what I, you know, say solo parents. <laughs> you don't get an option to not be effective. Like, you know, so I set out years ago to make my own way and make enough money doing my own things through the ebbs and flows of being self-employed. And that's not easy. And then I piled on top of it to have to do parenting. <laughs> so, you know, I always say like, like the hard, the only thing that's harder than doing startups is like parenting and raising. Oh yeah. So I, I call them my organic startups, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. I just have a, I'm not solo, but I just have a, uh, a daughter so uh indeed that's quite something great so parenting founding you talk about uh consulting what do you see in terms of uh the future of uh, what you do the future of your uh, if i can say industry in, in the sense do you see other companies starting to do uh, revenue operations uh, as you do well i hope they don't we'll take the whole market but, uh, <laughs> you know i think i here's the way i would i would process that i had this discussion today in a I'm in a, a startup Slack, one of, one of many, and a woman founder who was in there was talking about, you know, sort of agonizing about like, should I do my own manufacturing? I don't know, should you make some kind of direct to consumer good? I'm not sure what it is. Should I make it myself or should I outsource my manufacturing? And, and you could tell she was ascribing this sort of emotional value to that it felt worse to give it to somebody else. 
<laughs> and I challenged that. And I said, listen, you know, I think we've all been afforded the opportunity to think differently about what we would call outsourcing and kind of turn our nose up to like, you can't outsource sales. And where did that come from? It, it, it comes from the idea that I need to hold my team close and there's a difference between the group of people that are in our building and the group of people that are not in our building. And I think if anything, we've all learned in 2020 that that difference maybe was not as valid as we thought. And so if we can all agree that there's remote and distributed work of all types, then the only decision comes now, in what manner am I paying and to what legal entity? And how can I make a great business relationship with, with anyone? So why does it matter that a check is cut or an electronic payment comes from a certain account and goes to an individual account? We call that a W-2 in, in U.S., right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. or it goes to a contractor, we, you know, 1099 and, or it goes to a vendor and it, it's like, here's, here's a payment to make a team for me. Like that's literally the only difference. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of heads and people sitting behind Zoom now. And if we're going to judge the validity of building a team of people to deliver a thing, uh, the organization, I think, has just changed. So my argument to people is like that's literally the only difference now. So treat every relationship the same way that you would interview for what would have been your employee. <laughs> and therefore, you can cobble together people that you trust from vendors, from contractors, from employees, from whatever, because the only thing that changes in that equation is the way you pay them. And, uh, you know, that's it, right? So we have this opportunity to all think about like unlimited ability to manage and scale. And like, why would you hire, you can pay my whole team less money in a year to get the whole team and we can come in and bolt on a revenue operation from the beginning in two months. Now, or you could pay twice as much as that and hire a, you know, a VP of sales or, you know, <laughs> do some other solution and they won't be closing deals for quite a while, you know. So that's mm, probably not the greatest pitch in the world, but... To me, I think we have that opportunity. And again, like you don't think it's weird to hire a billing company or an outsourced CFO or anything like that. Um, so why not? So, so why not doing if it? If I'm for raging living? against any of the machines, it's that the <laughs> idea that outsourcing sales is sometimes bad. No, the manner in which you outsource sales was stupid, <laughs> and you didn't pay enough money, or you didn't figure it out right. And if you bought a solution that, that didn't suit you or sounded too good to be true, like that's how you lost money. <laughs> and um, just the collection of great people that you can bring, you can hire from anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so just do your diligence and decide if you're hiring good folks. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's very, very important what you, uh, you said. It's all about the how and the importance. At the end, we are delivering your results, whether we are doing it with uh, employees, Absolutely. contractors, etc. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. So now I will go with the, towards the end of the interview. So I would like to know for you, you have been a consultant for two decades approximately. So uh, for you, what does having a consulting lifestyle mean? I have come to understand that having a consulting lifestyle for me is a lifestyle business where like my work 
gets arranged and I can deliver value in the way that I want to deliver it at the time that I want to deliver it for the rate that I want to deliver it for. So I think in my mind, it's self-determination, it's optionality, being able to do the work and add value on different screens, on different sort of arrangements and not having to be tied into a place that I, you know, I have to go every day and, you know, sort of the normal job routine that we all got used to. That's impossible for me. So mm-hmm. uh, consulting allows me to do different work and, you know, have a lifestyle that I can build around and uh, deliver value and use my brain and solve problems. So, you know, that's really what it means for me. I just like making people's businesses better. Yeah, great. Great answer. And um, where can people find you if they want to uh, get in touch with you? Well, if you're a B2B services company and uh, you think maybe you're going to get out of the sales game and uh, you know run your company, grow your company, uh, you should at least have a conversation with us. And that is um, ad10, so ADD, numeral one, Z-E-R-O dot C-O. And uh, we got tons of blogs and educational material and videos and all kinds of stuff. You'll get tired of seeing <laughs> my face if you haven't already. And I welcome connections with uh, you know anybody who's interested in talking on LinkedIn. So David Ledge, Ledger Wood, easy to find. And And uh, you'll see it branded as Ad10 up the top there. Perfect. Thank you very much, Ledge. And uh, we, uh, we keep in touch and we talk soon. So uh, thanks very much. It's, It was so great. So good to be here. Thank you for the uh, insightful questions. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode. And subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified to hear other episodes with your host, Diogène Tirandekourat.